We're speaking today with Suzanne Bissell, a Washington, D.C.-based philanthropy consultant who specializes in nonprofit management and fundraising. This morning, Suzanne addressed a group of donors and beneficiaries of the Anglo-American Charity, a dual UK-US qualified donor-advised fund on the history and current state of giving in the US. And we've asked her to share some of her insights with us here at Tanager Talks. Suzanne, you mentioned that charitable giving in the US had a long and interesting history. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, you know, when we think about philanthropists in the United States, the names that immediately come to mind are the Rockefellers, the Carnegies, the Morgans, the Vanderbilts, and you know, in recent days, the Gates and the Buffets, and they have all done amazing things and, and have made a huge impact in our public's life. Um, but philanthropy goes way back. Um, we have, even in the history of the founding fathers, um, there's evidence of, of philanthropy. For instance, George Washington, our fir- very first president, um, in 1796, three years before he passed away, he made a very generous gift. He gave shares of stock of a company in a company that he owned, and those days was worth about $20,000. Now it would be $20 million. Um, he gave it to a a small school in Lexington, Virginia called Augusta Academy. Now, Augusta Academy was immediately renamed the Washington Academy, (laughs) but later became Washington and Lee University, which we all know today. And really, to this day, that money went into an endowment. Every single student benefits in a very, very small way. It's been a long time since George Washington made that gift, but each student is still benefiting a little way with a reduction in, in their annual Um, tuition payments. Uh, The other person I'd like to talk about a little bit is Benjamin Franklin of Philadelphia. Uh, Gosh, uh, he had done some pretty amazing things and as a former Philadelphian I always wondered how was it that he got to be on top of, of City Hall. I knew he was from Philadelphia but there were many people in Philadelphia in those days. Well, he, he did some pretty significant things. He founded the public library in Philadelphia, the first public library. He founded um, the volunteer fire department. Um, he started a school called the Pennsylvania Academy. It was uh, college-level uh, classes, and it was open to all men of all denominations, which was unusual in those days. The colonial schools that had been set up were... Um, were much more discriminating than that. Um, he eventually became president of Pennsylvania Academy, and in 1750, Pennsylvania Academy turned into the University of Pennsylvania, which we know now an Ivy League school. But I think the most important thing that he did was he founded a charitable hospital uh, that admitted uh, patients of uh, whether they had the ability to pay or not. So very, very generous. Now, in order for him to do that, he had to raise money. And um, so he was, Benjamin Franklin was not only a, a, a charitable person, but he pioneered the idea of a matching gift. Very clever. So he went to the legislator, legislative. He asked for two, a $2,000 gift with the promise that he would raise the other 2000 to open this hospital. And they granted him this. So he 
gave the money and raised some and and opened a, a charitable hospital in Philadelphia. So our founding fathers did great things. Um, now I'm going to veer off the track a little bit because about that same time, um, there's a gentleman in the UK. He was a Brit. His name was James Smith Smithson. He wasn't born James Smithson. He was actually uh, a, an illegitimate <laughs> child of uh, the Duke of Northumberland and a very wealthy widow. And his birth was a secret. Um, we know that he was born sometime around um, 1765 in Paris. Um, he led a rather sheltered life with his mother and grew up. And when his parent, both parents passed away, he actually changed his name to Smithson. And he, uh, went, to, uh, he went to Oxford studied science and uh, did some research and um, had a very credible career uh, and published some papers. He, he never stepped foot in the United States, but in his will, he wrote that um, he was not married, by the way, and so no children, no heirs. He, he, in his will, he wrote in a piece that said that if he, in fact, outlived his nephew, who the estate was going to go to, um, his only uh, living heir, that it would the money would go to the United States of America to to found the Smithsonian Institution. So, uh, you know, end of the story is that uh, Mr. Smithson passed away in the early 1800s. Uh, he was in his early 60s. He um, his nephew did not outlive him, and and so. His fortune, his mother's fortune that he inherited, um, was shipped in gold to the United States of America um, for the founding of the Smithsonian Institution, and we all we all know what's what's happened to that incredible organization today. So, um, not very many people know that it was a, a British philanthropist that that started the Smithsonian. Very exciting story. So those are all wonderful historical examples. Um, I want to ask you to move forward and think about today, and often as um, potential donors, we think that someone needs to be like Bill Gates to have a big impact on, on the community. Um, can you tell us something about your favorite unsung heroes of philanthropy and what their gifts have achieved? I would, I would be glad to, and there are many. Um, but two of my favorites uh, are Herb and Dorothy Vogel. Uh, Herb and Dorothy were uh, civil servants. Um, they lived in New York, New York City, in a one-bedroom rent-controlled apartment. They were married in the early 60s and decided that they would take art classes, painting classes. Um, Herb never finished high school. Dorothy did go to college and she was a librarian at the Brooklyn Library. Herb worked in the mailroom in New York City Post Office. His salary peaked at $23,000 a year, but they lived on Dorothy's salary and they saved Herb's salary. And after a couple years of these art classes, they decided, you know, we think, we think we'd like to collect art and so they took some classes and they started getting to know the art 
uh, scene in New York City. And I mean really get to know the art scene. They became personal friends of the artists that they ended up buying from, like Saul Lewitt, Christo and Jean-Claude, um, uh, Robert Mangold. It, 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 the, the list of the people that they bought art from is pretty incredible. And, and it was way before, in a lot of the cases, way before their time. Uh, now, they didn't buy everything. They actually bartered for some of the art. For instance, they became really good friends with Christo, and Christo had cats, and they loved cats. So <laughs> when Christo went away, they babysat his cats. But Christo paid them in a piece of art. <laughs> exactly. Um, in 1990s, when they retired, they decided that the 4,700 pieces of artwork in their one-bedroom rent-controlled apartment in Manhattan really um, couldn't stay there anymore, and they want, so they donated it. That, that's the main piece here. They donated the entire collection to the National Gallery of Art in Washington. Over the next 10 years, they worked closely with the National Gallery of Art to take, the project was called 50 for 50, 50 pieces of artwork to one museum in each state of the union. So it was 50 for 50, and the remainder of the collection is, uh, has found a home at the National Gallery of Art um, to this day. Now, you know, I looked around to see what this art collection was worth. Ford magazines, uh, quoted a figure somewhere upwards uh, of $100 million that this art collection was worth. So um, there's actually a documentary made <laughs> about, it's called Herb and Dorothy, and it's well worth looking at. Um, the second person that I'd like to talk a little bit about is, her name is Asiola McCarty. Asiola was born in 1907. Um, her mother had been raped in a rural area where they lived in Mississippi. And so she grew up with being raised by her aunt and her grandmother. And uh, Asiola did not finish sixth grade. Her aunt uh, had arthritis and they took in the family took in laundry um, to make ends meet. And so she really happily left school and stayed home and wash clothes on a washerboard with her aunt and her grandmother. And you know, uh, it sounds like a sad story, but this woman was a happy person and she loved her family. She loved her community. She loved God. And um, she lived in very, very modestly, yes, but even more modest than she needed to. They never owned a car. She walked everywhere. So a really, really interesting lady. When she retired at age 87, uh, the University of Southern Mississippi was in for a really big surprise. Osceola had a secret, and she was saving all the coins that she received all these years in the bank and was earning interest. She donated uh, 150000 out of the 288000 she had saved in the bank um, to the University of Southern Mississippi for students who were in need. And she was hoping so that she would enable other children to have the education that she never had. So now, at the University of Southern Mississippi, two scholarships, full tuition scholarships, are given each year to needy students. 
Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm just, I, I don't, I don't know her. I wish I did. She's, not, she's an amazing woman. <laughs> well, those are two great and in inspiring stories that um, I think will make all of us want to go out and uh, become donors and and have that kind of impact. Um, I was wondering if you could share with us uh, some of the uh, statistics that help us understand what uh, the sort of state of philanthropy in the United States uh, looks like today. Yes, I'd be glad to. Um, Giving USA uh, comes out with a report every July, so they've just released the, the 2012 figures. Um, and I think you'll find them interesting. 65% uh, of U.S. households are making charitable gifts every year on an annual basis. The average gift is $2,000. It's really quite high, higher than the Western European countries. The total giving in 2012 was $316 billion. Now, that's actually down from 2007 before um, the, the financial crisis hit. It was then it was upwards of 350 billion. Um, but the good news is it's coming back. Raised three percent this year. Increased three percent this year. Um, Eighty percent of these gifts are coming from individuals just like you, just like our audience today. In addition to this, I think this is interesting, half, 50% of our adults in the United States volunteer their time. Yeah. Now, part of the Giving USA report uh, takes, uh, you know, they, they publish their pie charts every year, and um, almost 80% comes from individuals, uh, 12 or 13% comes from foundations, 6% corporate. Um, and the rest from bequests. Um, now, who's getting the money? Uh, last year, and this, this is pretty typical. Um, the percentages might change one or two percent up, up or down each year. But 32 percent of the, um, the money went to religion. 13 percent went to education. 13 percent went to human services. 10 percent was given to um, foundations and uh, like let's see arts and culture the environment um, and health they all they all come in at about five or six percent each yeah that's great um, Susie we've learned a lot today um, about philanthropy, about unsung heroes, about uh, the, the founding father's generosity, uh, and uh, the state of giving in America today. So I want to thank you uh, for being on Tanager Talks. You're welcome. My pleasure. <laughs>